The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Welcome to the Miracle of Healing, where we come together every week to discuss and discover a roadmap to healing. I'm your host, Lisa Campion, and I hope you can join us since the world needs all the healing it can get. And we are healing the planet one person at a time, right here on Mind, Body, Spirit FM. Hi there, you found your way to the miracle of healing. And I am your host, Lisa Campion. I'm super happy and grateful that you're here with us today to join this incredible conversation. We're super lucky to have Elaine Clayton with us, who is another fellow empath, and I love talking to other empaths. So for Elaine to be an empath is an art form, and she's going to help us discover how our perceptions guide us, inform us, shape us, and at times limit us and require extraordinary awareness. Because being an empath is tricky. It requires skills and strength. It takes real courage to live in the world with a big open heart. So join the conversation with healer, empath, and artist Elaine Clayton as she shares with us how to use our creative process as a way as the way of the empath. Welcome so much. Thanks for being here, Elaine. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like I'm in great company. Oh, well, you know, I love talking to other psychics and other empaths, and I, I just mm-hmm. think your book is beautiful. So I have a copy of it right here. It's, it is a beautiful book because it's filled with all of your beautiful artwork. Um, and tell us a little bit about about how you came to knowing that you are an empath and really how you connect it in your this very unique way you do to the creative process. Well, thank you so much for commenting about the artwork because, you know, I've illustrated a lot of books over many, many, many years. And when it came to this book, I knew I shouldn't just draw it. I mean, and, and I don't mean just draw, but I mean, it, it felt like I needed to go into a little bit more of a total unexpected zone, you know, like where you don't have control over the image. Mm. So I used a brayer and a, and a, and a piece of plexiglass and I made monoprints. So what I would do is draw with ink on the plexiglass and put paper over that and then, and then roll the brayer over it so that what would happen when I peeled up the paper would be a surprise. So it would be this intuitive thing. And then I would have to go with the flow on what the image came out like, because it was different from how I originally sort of inked it out. So I just wanted to thank you for mentioning that. I had so much fun doing the art and being surprised, you know, and I think that is the word really for why being creative is so important to align us with our empathic sensing is that um, that that original creative spirit we have is full of surprises. And the feeling, you know, everyone loves a great surprise. We don't love unhappy ones, but we love exciting ones, you know. 
good surprises. And I feel that intuition is like that. Um, you, you know, you get a knowing that just sort of floats in and, and you can be actually literally surprised by, oh, I didn't, oh, how do I know that just now? And it just kind of appeared. But if we're not creative and if we don't cultivate and foster that original creative spark that really is who we are at our core as a soul animating a body, we are creators and if we don't cultivate it, I feel like we really miss that way that we can bring an element of surprise to the world around us through our, our own unique um, really generating of the creative process. So in other words, the culture kind of keeps us from keeping that spark alive, I think, and it's disempowering. So. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I, you know, I, I noticed too that the like the part of our brain that processes that that's a creative part is also the intuitive part, right? Yes. So it makes sense mm -hmm. is that as we open our creativity, as we we could let our our psychic, our intuition, our empathic nature flow through our creativity, and and um like the, you talk about this kind of empathic drawing is a technique that you use and mm -hmm. give some illustrations of it in the book, and it it reminds me a little bit of like. It's not exactly like a Rorschach test because that's too simplified for what you're doing, but to kind of like create something in a, from a very loose state and then use your intuition to make meaning of it. I, I, I think that's what you're talking about. Is that is that well, a good way to say it? Um, well, that is a method and I call it stream drawing or intuitive stream drawing. But we all did it when we were young. We all we all just didn't mind at all what anyone would think about the marks we made and, and out came stuff and nothing was more exciting than a blank surface, right? Right. The wall. <laughs> yeah. Yes, so exactly. What I found as a teacher teaching kids and adults is that at a certain point, usually around the age of reason, everyone got self-conscious and it's partly because another aspect of developmental mind work started happening where a kid wants to draw something that looks like a real thing. Mm. So then they're self-criticizing. But by then they're also, by around age eight, they're also totally um, conditioned to be a little bit shy about making a mark, right? So some of that creative spark gets lost. And I'm just looking for something like, okay, so you're talking about, and this is in the way of the empath, drawings where, okay, so... In this, for example, I close, the, the process is you close your eyes and use your non-dominant hand. And then you start to see into the image. And you can see here, I started to see a few, a few things. There's a number four, there's what I thought of as an angel, someone having a conversation with that angel. And so um, it begins this wonderful, imaginative, creative, uh, spiritual undertaking. And, and it's playful, yet it can be profound. The way in which it's different from something like a Rorschach test, it, it's similar in appearance because it's like making sense out of a, an amorphous shape or something. Um, those would be used to sort of diagnose and analyze someone and all that. Whereas these are in the spirit of you just generating your creative spark and being unafraid on paper to have a creative meditation event happen that could also open your intuitive awareness. 
since, as you say, the creative aspect is in the same realm as the intuitive. And so the imagination is like when we visualize and things happen, and this is in that realm. It's And that's why I call, call it stream drawing. Um, it's like you're being in the stream of consciousness flow, just like when we dream. And then when we wake up from a dream, we make sense of hmm. those images too. That's so it's cool. not different. Yeah, it's really not different from that. Right. So it's like just another way for us to tap into. It's like another channel we can open that allows us to tap in that, to that intuitive part of us. Yeah. Another way to daydream. I mean, the reason why I thought it was a good thing. So like if I try to meditate, if I focus on my breathing, that really helps because it's, it's, you know, we know for centuries breathing will do it. And um, otherwise we are just, we're just distracted in our minds. So, um, and then meanwhile, I felt that the most healing thing we can do is encourage each other to be creative and spontaneous. That's really loving each other. If I say to you, I value you, you there's only one you, there's ever only been one you, and there only ever will be you. So when you are creative, it's a treasure for us. And um, so that is why I wanted to cultivate people's, you know, ability to make a mark because it's also very impulsive. It's since cave people days, we've had this mm -hmm. impulse to do it. It's symbolic of making your mark on the world, which we do just by being right. And so it's pulled together a lot of elements. So at least when you're meditating this way, you get lost in the daydream and but you're being creative at the same time. If you don't really want to use your mind to kind of look, see what images you recognize inside what you drew, you could just color the shapes because color and shapes and lines are full of personality and emotion. And so, you know how everyone loved the coloring craze? It's, yeah. It feels good. That's why it feels it's really so fun to color. It is so much fun. So sometimes I don't feel like seeing stuff i just want to enjoy the shapes and let something else inside me you know be playful with that and use color whatever color i feel like and all that and that in itself too is is just a beautiful thing and you can just do it for 10 minutes you know it's not like a thing that you know i mean i want people to be creative in a way that feels natural mm. there's nothing worse than dreading a creative thing it's not going to work right what you want is something that you look forward to well oh, i can't wait till i can go do that or that or that my friend jacob nordby writes a lot talks a lot about the creative process he wrote a beautiful book called the creative cure and he talks about um how creativity is sort of a very direct expression of our higher self of our soul you know how mm -hmm like the pure, purest aspect of our essence makes it onto the planet. Yeah, I mean, you think the, the ancient scribes described it as the creator created us in his image. Hmm. So we are great creators. That is what we are. And But it, we can get so dejected and so hurt. And really social engineering kind of has us in slots and graded and so the, a spirit gets kind of hidden under all the personality development and the dejection and the 
pressure to be this or that or whatever society or even parents and teachers make someone feel like they should be. And I'm kind of being negative. I don't mean to be, but there is that element. Right. It's beautiful when people say, oh, I see that you're you're so gifted in this way and that way. And, and they, they gently allow you to, you know, flourish and kind of unfold and discover yourself. But along the way, we get bumped around quite a bit. So, it, I, you know, I feel like if we just remember that we are brilliant creators, there isn't one person alive who is not that. And that spark of life inside us is, is that. I love that. And and do you feel like there's a spe uh, special sort of tie-in for people who might identify themselves as empaths? Yeah, because I think if you're empathic, you are sensitive. And one of the best ways to um, stay in touch with what that means and all the impact it can have on us is by realizing how actually sensitive we are to visual imagery and to um, the need to create. So, it, for example, you know, I love to do these things. I'll just draw something for you really fast. So, like, you know, you look at, you look at, um, let me say, I'm trying to get the camera right. I love to, to sort of um, demonstrate, like, the difference between a simple line that makes a symbol they wanted us to learn. But like it's a just, letter. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Yep or a number of letters and numbers. And this is just a line that does some interesting things. But within that, sorry, I'm get, trying to get the camera right. Oh, yeah, that, so you drew, you drew uh, for those of you that can't see, you drew a number, the number two. Yeah, the number yeah. two, but I drew it in a certain way. Next, I'm, I'm going to show you a different number two. And um, this one has a totally different personality. Line right. work has a personality. So you can just see by looking at these two, that they express something very different. Right. And all we did was draw a line. In fact, a, just a straight line does that too. A straight line, if it's drawn straight enough, says something. And then if it's sort of slightly bent, it says something completely different. Mm -hmm. So, um, but we don't use visual imagery to cultivate a, a, an intuitive response and conversation about how strongly we, we, um, feel about visual imagery we use it to sell things to each other we actually use it to create lack or to freak each other out like with you know media and tv shows and yes. i think empaths are very sensitive to like what we see on tv and the images that we take in no kidding absolutely and so i can't tolerate a lot you know as a i mean and i even started to watch something the other day talk about empathy and the plot was um, you know, I, I shouldn't necessarily say what show it was, but I'll just say at the very beginning, first 15 minutes, someone's friend died, shockingly, was murdered, found murdered, and yet he, he left his entire practice to this guy. And there was no discussion about the fact that his friend was killed. It was, I inherited a practice. Wow, wow, let's go, let's go there real fast. There was zero, at least in the first 15 minutes, handling, so I had to turn it off. Mm -hmm. I mean, fake it, show them at a funeral, show, show them saying, oh my God, my friend died. It's horrible, and now he gave me his practice, and what am I going to do? I feel terrible, and kind of 
overwhelmed. I mean, they didn't have anything in the in the script that reflected feeling. You know, so that's a movie. That's that's a movie thing. But just imagery on ads alone, whether it's on TV or or you go outside and it's, you know, we we don't think about it because I don't even want to see that ad. But it, it went in, and it has an effect. It really does. So. Most of them are geared to use color, line, and shape and form to grab our attention on some level. It can be unconscious even. And then a slogan and, and also the imagery to make us feel like, oh, I need, I need to go buy that because, you know, so we wander around mostly feeling inept and, you know, kind of like I have to get this and that and that to be okay. That's our culture. <laughs> And we could be using art to love each other, you know. There is that too. But it's in its own little, you have to go there. You have to go to the museum. Right, yeah. So um, so I love how you talk about being open-hearted in the world, you know. Like, mm -hmm. how do we as empaths live so open-hearted in the world? How do we do it? How do we? Yeah, how do we do it? It's so hard. I mean, I say, I always say as an empath, you have to be prepared to get your heart broken five times a day. I you know? know. It is so true. And in eras of life through every stage. And I think that one of the first things that strikes me is I remember the moment I realized, oh, all this feeling is not mine. But I was about 22 or something by the time I registered it. And what happened is I was having a great day. I really was. I was having a great day. And I got home and I started to feel dread and, and sorrow and all these heavy negative emotions. And I thought, wait a minute. These aren't mine. I had a great day. So where did this come from? And that was the light bulb going on. And I traced it and I realized some encounters that I had. And I had just picked up on some things that were emotionally hard for others, but I carried them physically. And so I think that golden moment wants to happen for an empath, but we can't, we can't know when. Um, I was at a, I did a, a book launch thing in Connecticut, in Westport, Connecticut uh, in April. And there was someone there at the book talk and, and she was probably, I don't know how old she was, but she was probably in her fifties. And she said, Oh, that's what it is. That's what it is. You know, because she felt a little different her whole life, but she hadn't figured out that it was that she was actually so open hearted that she was picking up on, you know, sensations that were happening for other people. So how do we live open hearted? I guess we can't close our hearts. An empath with a closed heart isn't a very happy empath. I think that's a depressed empath. It does, it, you can't close it, I don't think. Let's take just a quick break, and when we come back, maybe we can talk about some, some of your protection exercises. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org thrive.
Okay, so um, we are back and we are talking with Elaine Clayton about her beautiful book, The Way of the Empath. And um, I, I know, like, I, I think there's a huge golden moment. I love that you said that golden moment when we realize yeah. that we're an empath and that there mm -hmm. are things we can do, that, it, that it's, a, it's a gift to the world for us to be mm -hmm. empathic. But there are things, protections that we can do when you bring up some really good ones in your um, in your book here, um, so we can live more powerfully in the world when we have some of these um, skills. So what are some protecting, protective measures we can take as we're out and about in the world? Okay, well, I would like to start with saying it isn't a fear-based thing like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh, I forgot to put the net over myself. Oh my God, mm -hmm. you know, it is not something, oh, you better do it every day. But just be, you're okay. You're okay. There's no real threat, you know? I mean, and when there is, you will do what you have to do if there really is a threat. But it's it's more about aligning with the light inside you. And I don't mm. know if I conveyed that enough. You know, sometimes when you voice something in a book, you, after the book is out, you might, you might add more to it or something. So I'm not really sure if I conveyed it the way I would like to 100%. But I hope that it com comes across that way because it really is about aligning with knowing that love is what really works. Not being enmeshed, that's the psychological term that really also works, you know, where you feel responsible for other people's life conditions. However, when you have an open heart and you, everything in you wants someone to be better, then it's really good to find a way to have a career or a volunteer experience or something where you get to exercise that officially. So that in your friendships and in your romances and all that, you can understand it's, it's, prudent and it's actually essential to have healthy boundaries. It's one thing to help someone in your work life who really has some hard things going on. That's, that's one thing because that's work and it, and you can very much help someone and be there for them. And then your heart feels great. And in your personal life, we can love others and also have a boundary because getting in the middle, like I think about it, the things that I have going for me, no one can fix my life for me as much as I might expect, you know. And that's the other thing about empaths. I think we get wounded early on because we're sensitive. We often feel victimized, too, by our sensitivity. And so we, we sort of continue to experience the wound over and over again. Absolutely. And there's yeah. a beautiful thing that you just said because... If I look at my life and I see ways in which I was super sensitive and felt hurt and wounded and, you know, whatever, then it left me open. Also, I'm, my tendency would be to seek anyone else wounded because I don't want them to be wounded. Right. Right. That's a little bit different from someone else who is wounded, like we all are in some way as yeah. we grow, and they become an accountant and they don't have to have their heart open like that. They can do other, they, they have another capacity, but if you take a natural empath who has, who maybe in, in truth was victimized and in many ways, 
and then is wanting also for other people to be healed, there's almost like an unconscious wish to heal the self through the other. It's not a bad thing. Where it gets not good, though, for the empath, is you cannot fix someone else's life and no one else can fix yours. So, you know, it's that triangle that happens where the victim seeks a rescuer Mm -hmm. and there's got to be a perpetrator. But that's a vicious cycle because... It's not very empowering, you know. It's we can get kind of locked in that feeling powerless. I think a lot of empaths feel really powerless until they learn, like, I love what you said, that love is the most powerful force in the universe, you know, Mm -hmm. that we need to find a way to manifest that love directly into the world, whether it's our vocation or our avocation or through our creative process, like you recommend, Mm -hmm. you know, that we can, we can make things better by with that love. Mm -hmm. So we don't just feel like we're sort of like, witnessing a train wreck we can't do anything about you know right we can we can decide how to use our life energy to do something that makes us feel like as empaths we are contributing in a way that is fulfilling to who we really are but the problem is personal relationships aren't easy anyway i think we're all here to bumble around or whatever to kind of like you know learn through the relationships we have because we don't become conscious until we do. But I, I, I think empaths are more likely to be sought by people who are wounded also. And then, um, the impact just unconsciously takes it on, takes on the responsibility or gets involved and it's a mess. And, and so that's the first thing I would say is like trying to learn. And we don't really learn usually unless we learn by experience, Mm. So, um, sadly, I guess I could say in a way we don't learn till we, till we go through it, but I don't think we'll, you'll ever meet an empath who hasn't gone through things that are really unbelievably painful because of that open heart and because of the desire for someone. Yeah. yeah. It's like you have to have a lot of codependency, codependent relationship train wrecks before you really realize how, that it's important to set boundaries and how to set boundaries. And then once we do that boundary, then we have way less, way less of those. Right. And I'm, I can tell you, I I probably have a PhD in, in (laughs) learning what that is. I call it boundary school. That's so funny (laughs) that you said that. Cause I do. I'm like, we all go through a phase where we're in boundary school and it's like every relationship just sort of comes up in our face to give us an opportunity to set a boundary. It's painful boundary school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so funny. (laughs) You know, I mean, I, I, I can't deny it. And so, but what it does is gives me a reflection of me, helps me know what, where, where was I when I made a choice to, you know, interact in that way and where am I now? What did I learn from it? And that all sounds kind of boring, you know, like the idea that life is a lesson and all that, but you know what, again, we just, we're not conscious until we are. So I would say trying to realize as best we can that we are empathic, and that happened, your golden moment happens whenever it does. But um, anyone who, I think a lot of young people are born these days knowing already that they are very yeah. sensitive mm-hmm. and they're good self-advocates. We watch the younger generations really being good advocates, you know, so. That's beautiful. I love it. So, Elaine, you have so many offerings. So how can people, and you've written a ton of books, you do 
sessions, you are, uh, you're, do Reiki sessions, you're an incredible psychic and an empath and a healer. You have incredible paintings for sale. Um, and you, uh, let's talk a little bit about how people can interact with you. First of all, where can they find you? Oh, thank you so much for that. You're so sweet. You really are. Um, my site is elaineclayton.com and I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. I try to do Twitter, but I confess I'm kind of not a very good Twitterer. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, what I love doing, I mean, I, Doing these intuitive stream drawing sessions is really uh, fulfilling because it is a way to go into an intuitive process in a way that supports people. And then creating art for people is also because I use color. Do you do portraits? Do you do like commission art commissions? How do you do that? Well, what I, I have one special way in which I like to provide spiritual artwork. So like, let's say you contact me because you want, and I call them spirit paintings. You know, I, I just call them that because what happens is if, if someone says, please do one for me or, or do one for my sister or whatever, I'll just say, okay, the thing is, I'm not going to charge very much. I wouldn't charge what I do as a, you know, an MFA um, person who has done lots of books and stuff. I, I don't do that. I want it to be spiritual. So I want almost anyone to be able to have it mm -hmm. if they want one. So um, the prices are low, you know, and um, but I go into a trance, kind of a meditation in honor of that person. And whatever comes, I just paint. And those are really fun to do. And then otherwise, people commission me to do all kinds of things. You know, they, they'll just say they really like the abstract work or the figurative work. And um, sometimes I do do portraits, too. So, it, you know, it's just kind of it's a lot of different things. You love it. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Elaine, and for sharing your book, The Way of the Empath, for sharing the your art and your creative spirit with us, too. Well, thank you so much. And I, I love your work. And I, I hope I get to meet you in person sometime. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah, I, I hope that happens, too. Where are you? Where are you located? I'm in Rhode Island. Oh, I love Rhode Island. So I was in Connecticut for a long time. And sometimes I daydream about living in Rhode Island. <laughs> we'll come and visit. I will. The only thing that that is true is the, the water is so cold and I love warm salt water. That's true. You'll have to come in August then. That's really the only time you can get I, in the water here. I've been there in August. It's the good so news cold. is it's so cold that you get numb. <laughs> you don't feel it after. No, after yeah, I never, I, all those vacations when I was taking the kids with my, you know, their father and all that. And it would be, I just watched. I just couldn't get in. So I feel you. I feel you. Maybe I'll come visit you then. Okay, and we'll go to Florida. Florida is only three hours from where I am right now. <laughs> Sounds great. We'll have a road trip. I love it. <laughs> Two empaths on a road trip. It would be great. Yeah. That sounds like another book. Hey. Hey. Good idea. What happens on the way? Oh that was fantastic. So thank you so much. And thanks all of you for listening. Um, if you want to know more about me, you can uh, find me at my um, website, lisacampion.com. I specialize in training emerging psychics, empaths, and healers to fully understand their gifts. Um, and to step into them and polish them up because you know me, I always think the world needs all the healers it can get. And thank you for joining us on the miracle of healing on Mind Body Spirit FM. And don't forget to subscribe and follow the show wherever you get your podcast. I know you're not going to want to miss a word of the inspiring conversations that we hear we have here every week. 
Thanks for joining us. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us, and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.